With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. All right, welcome back to the show. And uh, we uh, have the pleasure of having Paul Hellier joining us here at the table. Uh, Paul, who was a former defense minister under the, uh, Lester Pearson. Mm-hmm. Paul, right? And you know what? I was just thinking about it this morning, uh, uh, and I kind of mentioned it to you before, but you were actually the first politician I ever supported in my life because I remember the Liberal Convention of 1968, and uh, me and my dad were watching it, and he was supporting you, and so therefore so was I. May so it just occurred to me this morning, you're the first may, politician. May I congratulate you and thank you. <laughs> Being on the right side of the issues ever since. <laughs> so um, now uh, we're talking about, you know, you, you've, you've been a, a lifelong uh, uh, passionate about me- macroeconomic issues. That's right. why you got into politics in right. the first mm-hmm. place. Correct. So um, yeah, so let's get right into it because we got a lot, a lot of ground to cover here. But you claim that the current recession could be uh, ended with the stroke of a pen. Um, I mean, it sounds like a miracle, uh, but maybe you can explain that to people. Well, it is a miracle, or would be a miracle. But I believe in miracles, or I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's it's. It is as easy, really, as a stroke of a pen, and uh, the federal government actually has the power to end the recession any time it wants to. Okay. All it needs is the political will and uh, the understanding of what they're doing and wh- how they should do it. And as you know, the Constitution of Canada uh, gives the federal government and Parliament, because it's important, Parliament really mm-hmm. has the power, mm-hmm. theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, to um, over all matters relating to money and banking. And consequently, they could create all the money that they wanted um, or that they needed, or they could continue to let the private banks uh, create nearly all of it mm-hmm. and then have to go cup in hand uh, and borrow from the banks when they run short and pay it back with interest, which is one of the silliest things I've mm-hmm. ever heard yes. because they own the patent. Yeah. And the banks have no rights. All they have are licenses. Mm-hmm. And yet, they're making all the money. And whoever creates the money makes the profit. Yeah. So what's happened over the years is that the government has given up its profit and passed it over to the banks, which doesn't make a lot of sense for taxpayers. Because all that interest, which is now going to private banks, could have gone back to the people of Canada oh, through sure. the Bank of Canada. Absolutely. Now, okay. Wow. See, see, I already know this stuff, Sandra, okay, but see, I know it's new to you I, and maybe I, to I'm, some I'm of the viewers <laughs> out there. So this is great. So we have a great test case right here. But I mean, if it's as simple as you <laughs> yeah. say, you go ahead, Sandra. I mean, why hasn't yeah. it been done yeah. before? Yeah. Why wasn't it done? I think because they don't understand it. When I wrote my first book on this subject about 15 years ago, and interestingly enough, it was called Funny Money. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I interviewed about 100 people, 
doctors, lawyers, dentists, business people, the, uh, the chief executive uh, editor of one of Canada's biggest newspapers, one of its most important, they think, mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, publisher of uh, one or two others, and some financial writers, and said, tell me where money comes from. And first of all, they, they were gun-shy of the question. And I say, come on now, it's not going to bite you. Mm -hmm. And so then they said, well, the government prints it. And I said, well, how much does the government print? And they said, their estimates were from 60% to 100%. Not one of them guessed at less than 60%. And mm. of course, if we had that kind of system, it would be very, very different. We wouldn't have a recession today. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in fact, about 90% of all the new money created every year is created by the private debt, by the private banks. And uh, this, is, uh, this is something that the people who are running the country didn't understand. And the reason I felt that I had to write a book and keep on trying to educate them so that they would know that whoever creates the money makes the profit and they have turned that function almost totally over to a group of very wealthy, powerful uh, private individuals uh, at the expense of the taxpayers, of the people. And uh, this isn't right and we've got to do something about it. Wow. Okay, so if the privately owned banks create the money, or most of it, where do they get the money that they lend? Oh, this is the answer you love. They create it out of thin air. Oh. Would you believe? They have practically no money in their... They have now after some changes in the Bank Act in 1991, they don't have to have cash reserves against their deposits, so they probably only have a cent or a cent and a half in cash or legal tender for every dollar you think you have in the bank. But wow. what they do, and a lot of people keep telling me, well, if you go in for a loan, that they lend you the money that I or somebody else deposited yesterday or the day, day before. Well, that's not true. Um, mm -hmm. They're lent out all the time. So if you went in for a loan, let's say you wanted to borrow $35,000 for a new car, and uh, you see your friendly banker and uh, tell them what you wanted, they say, well, what collateral do you have? Some stocks or bonds? Uh, well, if not, uh, how about a second mortgage on your house or cottage? Okay. Or failing that, uh, get uh, Hugh or someone else, a your friend first, or, or relative as a, as a co-signer, <laughs> and uh, then they're satisfied, okay. and they'll say, okay, here's a note to sign. Okay. And they give you a note to sign for $35,000 okay. principal plus okay. interest okay. at prime plus, you know, one or two percent or three, depending on, I sometimes think, the color of your eyes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then as soon as they're satisfied with the collateral and, and they have their note signed, they tap their computer, mm -hmm. and presto, $35,000 shows up in your account that you can go out and spend to buy the car. Seconds earlier, that money did not exist. It's just a number. It's, it's virtual money. Okay. Actually, it's virtual money. Okay. It's debt money. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, but it's, we, we count it as money. It, it, it works as money. So, so it's not way, real money. It's not real money, no. But the way the system works as far as the banks are concerned, it's sort of a double accounting. Okay. They use your uh, note as an asset. And the, the money they created is a liability. 
So this balances their books. Okay, so so they're taking my real money because as collateral, well, and they're you, giving you, me fake money. Well, you you didn't give them any real money. You just gave them a promise to pay. Okay. And, and then that's what they gave you back. But but if I can't pay it, then they can take my real collateral. Property. They will Absolutely. grab your. And, and they never gave me real stuff to begin with. No, but if you don't pay it back with interest, they'll take your car. Now that sounds like a scam to me. That sounds like a total scam. Yeah. It should be illegal. And uh, it should be. And well, this has been going on for how long? Uh, a few hundred years. Wow. And it's a it it is a scam. <laughs> and uh, wow, it's a really well hidden scam. Yeah. At least I know lotteries are scams, right? It's right in your face. The, the, this is something we should talk about: is the, how the scam came into being. Well. It, Look, we can do that. It, it just seems that people, uh, it, it strikes people when they hear this as impossible or just new information. And it seems as if uh, maybe we're just not properly educated about how the system works. Yeah. No, and that's that, part of the problem. That, that is the problem. Yeah. Because from what I found and my experience when I wrote the book, I was guessed that about one person in every hundred understands how it works. And I've never seen a parliament with more than five or six people uh, who knew how it worked. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and since uh, my being there, I'm not one in the cabinet that I know of. So anyway, let's go back uh, okay. yeah. to uh, the time when the Bank of England was chartered. Mm -hmm. And uh, William, King William of Orange, was fighting a war on the, uh, on the continent. He ran out of money. So somebody said, well, why don't you have a bank? Sounded like a good idea, so mm -hmm. Parliament approved the charter for the Bank of England, and the rich people in London put in a million two hundred thousand pounds of gold and silver, and lent it all to the king at eight percent, pretty high interest rate for guaranteed government guaranteed loan. Then they charge a few little other things in the process, just like they do today, and uh, then to show his uh, appreciation. The king said, now you can print, P-R-I-N-T, 1,200,000 pounds in banknotes and lend them to your rich friends. So in effect, they were given the right to lend the same money to two people, the king and the friends, at the same time, and collect interest from both. Okay. Well, over the years, that ratio, which we call leverage. That was a leverage of two to one. And I'll, let's call it a, a, a minor, you know, a minor uh, demeanor, misdemeanor, okay. sort of a, a, a small uh, fraud kind of thing. Uh, but over the years, that's grown much more generous due to the avarice of the banks and the collusion or or uh, cooperation mm -hmm. of uh, politicians, including kings and queens and, uh, and emperors over the years. And in the early years of the 20th century, the uh, American federal banks had to have a gold reserve of 25%, which means they could lend the same money four times. When I was young, in Canada, the banks had to have a cash reserve of 8% which means they could lend the same money 12 and a half times. Well, then after our government changed the Bank Act uh, in 1991, uh, along the lines of Milton Friedman, um, and adopted the new idea of capital reserve, 
our banks were allowed to have assets 20 times their capital. So in effect, they could lend the same money to 20 different people, businesses, or governments and collect interest from every one of the 20 simultaneously. Wow. Now that is what I call grand larceny. Wow. That, that is just... That's a huge scam. That's a, a major, major fraud. And it's just a wonder that they haven't been called on it long ago. But the reason really is, uh, which we can discuss, that they're running the world now and uh, they make it very difficult for people who try to change the system. Like yourself. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, it is really, uh, that's evidence that we've gone from a 2 to 1 ratio to a 20 to 1 yes. ratio, which wow. means that the scam has increased tenfold yeah. from the f First Bank of England. Right. Now, um, and this is money as debt. This is all the money that's created is created as debt. Well, you just right? put your finger on the other problem. In addition to being a fraud, um, there is a real problem when most of the money is created by the banks because it's all debt money. It's all virtual money. So that's what debt money means, right, Paul? It's fake. It's not real. Well, it's, it's, it sometimes works as money, but it's not real money. Okay. It's not like a $10 bill or a $20 bill or... Can't hold it in your hand. No. Well, okay. plus the other thing is because it's all created as a debt, now interest is owed on it. Oh, and, sure. And where is that interest supposed to come from? Well, absolutely. And, and this is... Huh. It's, it's a system. It's just like a balloon. And the banks keep pumping in this debt money. And the balloon gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it's like a... A bubble, some people call it. Balloon gets bigger until finally the debt load is so high, or the interest on the debt is so high, that we can't carry it. And then it's like a balloon with a pin stuck in it. And it goes swish like that, and you have a recession. And that's when people lose their jobs and, uh, and their houses and all of this sort of thing. And now this is what's happening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the, the fiscal cliff and the... Mm -hmm. uh, the whatever they call that, where they have to mandatorily uh, stop uh, federal government expenditures, this is that, that balloon is, is, has hit its maximum size. Absolutely. The balloon burst because it got too big. And this has happened 25 times or more in the United States, States since uh, 1980, 1890 rather, pardon me. 25 well, times? 25 recessions and depressions, and in my opinion, not one of them was necessary and yet they have disrupted the lives of millions and millions of people. Their real lives, not their fake money lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we talk about a global financial crisis and so many countries we hear about Greece, we hear about mm -hmm. uh, Portugal, uh, the US and we have our own problems here in Canada. Um, now, but these problems didn't always exist. I mean, we did very well. Uh, during and after the Second World War here Absolutely, in Canada. and Canada started out beautifully. We, um, we nationalized the Bank of Canada in 1938 uh, due to the uh, advice of uh, Jerry DeGeer, who was the icon of uh, monetary reformers, and uh, Mackenzie King, uh, he convinced him that if a government that doesn't control its credit isn't a democracy, doesn't have control, and that's... Makes sense to me. No, that's, that's exactly the truth. So they nationalized the bank in 1938, and it didn't do much the first year, uh, but then the war came along, okay. and uh, it came out of hibernation, and really sprang into action. 
and started creating very, very large sums of money for the uh, government of Canada at near zero cost. I don't know if it's necessary to explain how that happened or not, but it was it, their net cost was near zero. It was just the cost of administration deducted. Well, think about, I'm just thinking about before the, the Second World War, the, the Depression was on, mm -hmm. and there was very high unemployment. There were no jobs in the country. Right. And then we went from uh, all of a sudden through the war, through the use of this policy yeah. and the Bank of Canada, to completely reinventing and industrializing the whole country. Absolutely. From nothing happening to everything happening, people, we hit a historic low of 1%. Unemployment? Unemployment, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And think about wow. that. Because our, well, I don't know what our stated unemployment rate is today, but it's the, I, there are so many people between that would love to have jobs yeah. that just can't find them right. these yeah, and days. Worse, a million young people between age 15 and 25 without jobs. That's awful. Yeah. That's terrible. Yes. yes. And that's the reason we've got to do something about it. But it's interesting. If they had done what we're our group is recommending in 1930, there would have been no Great Depression. Exactly. And maybe no, no need for a war. Well, hopefully, yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, uh, now, things have turned bad, obviously. From, from all that growth uh, during and after the war to where we are today, something happened. Well, this, we had the same system uh, after the war. It got us out of the Depression mm -hmm. through the war. Mm -hmm. And after the war, it helped finance the uh, St. Lawrence Seaway and the... Uh, Trans-Canada Highway and the great new airport terminals that we built. And in addition to that, help us uh, lay the foundation for our Medicare and uh, our social security systems, which were the envy of the world. And things were going swimmingly yes. until 1974. And in 1974, the rules were changed, and it's been downhill ever since. Because in 1974, uh, there was very little unemployment. A little bit, but not much. There was not one uh, food bank in Canada. Wow. And today there wow. are almost 2,000. Wow. Tuition fees were reasonable. Our Medicare system was well funded. That was the situation in 74. So the Bank of Canada adopted new rules. It bypassed our needs and started taking its orders from the Bank for International Settlements in Zurich, Switzerland. That happened in 1974? Yeah. Okay. And we became a member of a committee over there that sets okay. the rules for the world. Okay. And I guess we were, went to our heads. And uh, so we adopted two things, two decisions that the Bank for International Settlements made. First, to uh, adopt the ideas of Milton Friedman, which was basically a deregulated system. And he was interesting because he went from someone who recommended 100% cash reserves nearly all of his life, to someone who went for zero cash reserves. Wow. You have to wonder about the judgment of someone well, who, that's jumps pretty from, extreme. who jumps from 100 to zero. Anyway, that was the first decision that they okay. made. And the second one was to stop providing cheap money to governments. And that is when everything started going downhill. Okay. Well, then the third thing they did was they decided that they were in charge of, uh, of controlling inflation. So mm -hmm. um, Paul Volcker, the chairman of the Federal Reserve System in the U.S., decided in 1981 to put monetarism, Friedmanism, to the ultimate test. He raised interest rates to 18 or 20 percent and came within about 
I think it was five hours of destroying the whole world financial system. In Canada, not to be outdone, we put ours up to 22%. And it just slows everything down. Wow. The economy crashed. I think we lost almost 700,000 jobs. People who were working before wiped out. And people lost their houses and their, their businesses and their farms, sometimes after four or five generations uh, in the family. And it was just dreadful. But then those are the social consequences. The economic consequences were that people who are unemployed don't pay taxes. And the government still has to see that they don't starve, which means they're higher costs. So you have a deficit, a huge right. deficit. Okay. And then you roll that over into debt. And with interest rates at those levels, the debt doubles every four years. And that was the beginning. Until then, we had had a, more, a stable debt to GDP ratio for about 35 years, and it just started taking off like an airplane going up uh, you know, towards wow. the mountains. And we've never really recovered from it. We've started to recover a little bit. And then John Crow, our new, uh, deputy, our new governor of the bank in, uh, in 1990, decided to do it to us all over again. And we have never recovered from these two terrible, dreadful recessions, which were deliberately brought on by the government of Canada and created all of the debt that we have today. And Ellen Brown, who is a member of our international group trying to change the system, was uh, talking one day and she said, Paul, do you know how much uh, uh, interest the Canadian people have paid on the debt that was created unnecessarily? And I said, no. She said, a trillion dollars. I said, Ellen, you know, I love you dearly, but I think you're putting me on. So I sent a missive to the parliamentary uh, research group and one of the few uh, benefits of being a privy councillor is you have access to their mm -hmm. research group mm -hmm. and uh, asked how much interest did the Canadian people pay on the federal government debt from 74-75 to 2010-11. The answer, $1 trillion, $100 billion. Wow. Can you imagine what we could do with that much money? Wow. And that's money that we didn't have to pay and now the Canadian taxpayers are being uh, increasingly heavily handed asked to pay that money. Well, we, we still pay it. Yeah. And it works out if you divide it out. I took an average workforce for uh, of those, you know, those years. It's just a, you know, a ballpark thing, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. terribly accurate, but close enough. I think it cost every person in the labor force about $87,000 if they worked for those uh, 37 years. And I'm just thinking, you know, any, everybody that's watching this, anybody that owes money as a student loan or anybody that wishes they were making more money or anybody that can't find a job and wishes they could, these are people that are all being affected by this policy decision. Every single one of them, every single person. doesn't matter if they're First Nations needing more money for health care or mm -hmm. for housing or students whose uh, tuition is so high that they have to go deeply in debt and never get out of it, mm -hmm. you know, for a long time. Everybody is affected. Every single uh, person in the whole country is affected. Okay. And that's the reason we have to have a new system. All right. Well, you know, it's almost like well, we've talked about the global financial problems, the, the meltdown of 2007. Uh, I mean, it, it, it seems like we're still teetering on the brink of, a, of some kind of global financial Disaster, collapse. Yeah. And we are teetering on the brink. And worse than that, we're not really growing. Yeah. We're not growing fast enough to employ the young people that I was talking about. 
And, uh, and there's big social consequences to that, too, that there's a whole other yeah, interview. Well, sure. You know, in, the, in Europe, people marching in the streets, in England, uh, everywhere. The, it's a very precarious situation. And it's, it's getting so long now, it's almost the length of the Great Depression, mm -hmm. and will, mm -hmm. unless we do something. Mm -hmm. It will probably exceed in length the Great Depression if we don't act right away. Wow. And, and just think about people's lives, how they're affected, and how this, the suffering of people who just don't have enough money to pay those bills every month, and how, how there's more and more of those people every day. And the, the, the homeless yeah. people on the street, the problem we didn't have 30, 40 years no. ago? Positively. Okay, Paul. Now, you, you got a solution to this. That's right. And, and we want to hear. I've been working on it. Let's, let's have some good news, because this yeah. is pretty depressing. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> you know, I've written 13 books, and I've never written a book complaining about the situation without providing a solution. Don't Thank say that you. they're all perfect, but I, I, I really sort of dislike people saying, well, the world's going all to you know what, and then, and then say there's, there's no way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's got to be a way out, and there is a way out, and what it really is, is adopting a variation of what we did from 39 to 74. Okay. And we know it works because it worked then. So what we're proposing, and this is a group of people who have been studying this, uh, this problem, is that we would ask the federal government to have what we call a new social contract between the government of Canada and the people of Canada, and that it would involve changing the system and going back to what we had in that period, which was really sharing the money creation function between the government of Canada and the private banks. That's what they did for those years until 74. Mm -hmm. So go back to that system of sharing. But first of all, we would prime the pump and get the economy up and running and provide jobs for people. So part of the solution is to uh, have the government of Canada immediately print 15, $10 billion uh, share certificates in Canada. Okay. Non-redeemable, non-transferable. Uh, and uh, check with the, uh, with the Department of Justice to see if they would qualify as uh, collateral for the Bank of Canada to, to issue new money. Okay. And if yes, okay. And if no, change the Bank of Canada Act. And then to have order the Bank of Canada to take the shares and create $150 billion dollars and deposited in the government of Canada's uh, bank accounts okay. on the understanding that it would be split 50-50 between the government of Canada and the provinces and territories on a per capita basis. Okay. And also with the understanding that the provinces and territories would come to the relief of the hard-pressed municipalities, like mm -hmm. Toronto, for example, which has so many things to do and so little money Fine. to like do it. Build a subway. Well, that's for sure. Just take, one example. We all know we need it. Take down the gardener. Yeah. Develop the port lines. You know, you can go on and on and forever. And put all those people to work yes. that would Fix love to have jobs. Right. And then there, there's another thing that has to be done simultaneously. And that is we have to reverse the decision that Parliament made in 1991 about cash reserves. Yes. And give the, the Minister of Finance the right to establish cash reserve requirements for the private banks, up to a maximum of 34%. And the reason for that is 
to prevent inflation. Because as soon as you talk, you, as soon as you open your mouth and talk about gov government-created money, people say, oh, wild inflation, it would be roaring inflation. Not true. It is a mm -hmm. myth, a total okay. myth. Because money is money, and it's the amount of money that's created, not who creates it that makes the difference. But they have, they have brainwashed just about everybody to believe that it would be like, you know, getting the Great Plague or something. So uh, they have to have that. And then to repeat this process for seven years, increasing the cash reserves 5% each year and creating about $150 billion or 125 each year until the banks then have 34% cash reserves. And after that, to split the money creation function, 34% with the government of Canada and 66% with the banks. And that would work for everybody. The government would have enough for, to balance their budgets federal, municipal, and, uh, and provincial, and still provide all of, the real need, all of the real needs of the people that we've been discussing, and without, well, actually, they could lower taxes, and without uh, any deficits, they could balance their budgets every year, no, no need for deficits. Hmm. And then as soon as the system was up and running, they would have surplus cash for a while during those seven years which they could use to start paying down the existing debt. And by the end of the seven years, the federal government should be able to pay down about one-third of its existing debt, which means lower taxes because less interest to be paid. Right. Now, yeah. the bottom line is we know it works because it worked when before. we did it before. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a proven model. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, and, you know, I think... Uh, you know, uh, some kind of policy. I notice on the Bank of Canada website, they have no mention of a full employment policy, which means that people are, are, are suffering and they're not able to uh, pay their taxes even. It, yes, and, and they're, they're, it's not a factor in when they're looking for a new governor either. Mm -hmm. They've forgotten their purpose. Mm -hmm. They came into being in 1935 at the insistence of the farmers of Western Canada and the unemployed people who are being let down by the banking system. So the idea was we'll have a central bank and that will get the banking system to somehow work for our benefit, right. at least to bail us out somehow. Well, it didn't work until the war came along. But then it worked and it showed that it will work. And as I said, if it had been done in 1930, we, we there wouldn't have been any Great Depression. And if it's done now, our long recession depression will end. If it's not done now, we're doomed for several more years of slow growth, and maybe, heaven only knows what, with Europe and the United States, the fact of it could be a, I don't want to over-dramatize, but I just came back from there, and there are people who don't deny the possibility of civil war again. Wow. And it's, the stakes are just so terribly high. And there's one final thing that is driving me, and that is that the number one problem in the world is global warming. And it's on the back burner because nation states don't have enough cash to convert to clean energy mm -hmm. in the time that absolutely has to, it has to be done. Clean energy exists. It has for at mm -hmm. least 40 or 50 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. It's all hidden by the same people that run the banks and the oil companies. We call them a cabal. And they have this energy, but they're willing to see the world go to you know where because they want to cash all their chips from the oil investments. And we've got to somehow get rid of that power 
And one of the big benefits that we haven't discussed is at the end of all this, their, their ratio, their leverage will be back down to two to one. They will have no power to run the world as they have been recently. We will restore democracy as we know it, government of, by, and for the people. And we will have then the power to do these other things, all of them, including, I would say, a trans transformation of every, every car, truck, tractor, airplane, and home to a little box of zero-point energy wow. in eight years, which would just be maybe fast enough to stop the global catastrophe from happening. Okay. Now, Paul, uh, it sounds like a, a good plan in terms of because we've, we've used it before. Mm -hmm. It's proven. And, you know, as, if, as a young person, uh, I'll still include myself in that category, but... Uh, oh, we all do. I, I know. <laughs> but, I we mean, all include him in that category. I think it's easy for people to become discouraged by, by the state of, of where things are in their own personal financial situation, but you're convinced that this plan can work. I have absolutely no doubt I would stake my life on it, even if I were younger. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I know it will work, and I know that it is really... It's not the only solution, but it's the best one I've come across. And I know that if people do it, it will affect beneficially the lives of every man, woman, almost every man, woman, and child in the country. So, so why would this be such a hard sell? It's a proven formula. So why wouldn't the government just go back to what works? Well, if you read uh, uh, Ellen Brown's book, Web of Debt, about how the, they formed the... Uh, uh, Federal Reserve System in the United States, which is privately owned, uh, the biggest heist in history. They cost mm -hmm. the American people $16 trillion. Uh, you'll see that at the end of all this machination, they bought the 25 biggest and most powerful papers in the United States so that they could uh, decide uh, what would be printed on this. So what the public knows. And I don't know. I suspect there's something similar going on today that concentration of power in the press has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. And okay. the fun, if you trace the money back, you'll find that uh, some of it will go right back to the cabal. And uh, they, they pull strings and they really do a lot of things, including brainwashing people. Federal Reserve System spent $380 million last year uh, having studies done by uh, economists deans of economic schools, and so on. Do you think any of those people are going to go out and say that the Fed should be abolished? This year, I think it's going to be $400 million. Well, when you wow. have all the money in the world and you've got a rigged it's, game it's like that. big stakes we're talking about. Wow. And there's a reason why Canada should do it first, and that is because we own our bank outright, mm. unlike most of the central banks. So that's our leverage. That's our leverage. But it's, it's our chance to lead. And because we have a government with majorities in both the House and the Senate, so they could enact this legislation we're talking about in two weeks or less. Wow. They could do it in four or five days if they really wanted to, if, if it was important to them. They could do it in four or five days just by getting the approval of the cooperation of the other parties. And I'm sure they wouldn't have any trouble getting it because you can't look a gift horse in the face and not and say no because this is something that it's nonpartisan. It goes cuts right across the board. It affects people regardless of the, their 
the most right-wing conservative mm -hmm. or the left mm -hmm. most left-wing yeah. socialist. It, it affects everybody. And everybody should get behind it. And we're going to ask uh, people to, uh, to go to our website, which we'll have soon, and, uh, and uh, to read all about it and send letters, not emails, but letters to their MP, the Minister of Finance, and the Prime Minister saying, we like this new social contract. It's in our interest, and we want you to do it now. So can this, what you're proposing, it can't happen unless the people take a stand as well? So you need the people, is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying the government could do it tomorrow if... Okay, but the government needs the power of the if people If I were the Prime them. Minister, okay. the, the new budget would incorporate it. Okay, okay. But strange as it may seem, I'm not the Prime Minister. came for fairly close once mm, or twice. Go but, figure. <laughs> And uh, the, the present Prime Minister, I think, uh, in a letter I put to him recently, his economics professors were as, as useless as mine were 60 years ago. <laughs> and he got this crazy idea that somehow austerity is going to solve the problems. Never, ever. Okay. Okay. And he should have learned that. Okay. So they could do it. Okay. But what I'm saying is the cabal and the big guys have the power, but we have the numbers. Okay. And we have to get them out of the streets. And there are thousands okay. saying, this is what we want, okay. and we want you to do it. And if you don't do it, we're going to use every peaceful means at our, within our control to make it happen. Okay, okay. Okay, Paul, we're uh, just wow. about out of time here, but we do need people, like we have to work together on this. So yep. what can people who are watching this right now do to take the first step towards helping make all this happen? But we want to make it as easy for people as possible. And uh, yeah, Paul Hellier Webb, all one word, dot com. Dot com. Okay, Paul, that's And the great. other one is Victory for the World, dot net. All right. Okay, Paul. And we will try and get this information about our website up yeah. on both of those within a week. Wow, okay. Uh, so that people will be able to. Uh, Okay. So we need people to actively participate yeah. for this to happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because, Thousands of them. Because it means more than just the sake of the global economy. It's everyone's personal financial situation that's at stake here. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Taking right, the power Paul. back. Thanks for doing this. And, it was a pleasure. Uh, um, I and, love uh, any chance to say what I think. Well, we look forward to working <laughs> with you to make this happen and, and with everybody who's watching this is cooperation. Yeah, absolutely. And, so thanks for doing and this. collaboration. My thanks to you both. Okay, Sandra. Wow. That's it. We're going to run some video now that's going to just kind of punctuate everything that Paul's been talking about here. So uh, that's it for the show. Awesome we'll show. We'll be back next week. Thank but, you. Uh, Thank you, Paul. Meanwhile. Thank you, Sandra. Okay, so here's the video. That's it for the show. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Let's start off with money. Where does it even come from? Where do I think it comes from? Like it's made? Um, uh, the government? Money comes from uh, paper. I believe it comes from trees. <laughs> <laughs> In the, in the long run, I think it comes with trees. No, I believe money 
I actually, I'm not 100% sure. That's a trick question. Why? Well, it's a, that's a, it's actually an interesting question. The first of all, money is uh, prior to money. It's going to sound like a long answer, but I'm, I'm not quite sure I know the nature of your question. But let me see how I can handle it. Prior, thank you. Prior to, uh, it's actually simple. Over 95% of our money is created by private banks. That means there's less than 5% of government-created money. Let's look at the differences between creating the money ourselves and borrowing it from private banks. Creating the money ourselves pretty much just costs the labor to print it and the hard work to back it up. While borrowing money from private banks can cost up to 10 times or more than the principal before it's paid. This is Canada's federal debt. From 1867 to 1992, we owed $423 billion. However, 91% of this debt is the result of interest on interest. And only 8% of the money was actually used on real things, like goods and services. But now we have to pay back over 10 times what we needed, simply because we borrowed from private banks instead of ourselves. So where do these private banks get their billions of dollars from that they lend out? Nowhere! They just write down a number on a piece of paper and lend it out as if it was money to families trying to put a roof over their heads, students trying to get an education, or governments looking to improve the country. Banks then get paid multiple times back with your hard work. Every time they issue a loan, they are creating brand new money. It never existed before you walked into the bank. So pretty much like you say, I go into a bank, they buy, they, I, I say, you know, well, can I have like uh, $10,000 paid for my college? They yeah, say, sure, you here, let me just go run this off the machine and then you can pay us back with your hard-earned money. Right. That's exactly it. That, that's pretty crazy. They just get you to believe that they're lending you what's inside their vaults. But it couldn't be further from the truth. For instance, banks. Yeah, your banks have the amount of money that they have in reserve. The answer is no. There's about $50 billion of real cash in Canada. All the private banks combined only have $4 billion in their vaults, or what they call reserves. And yet they've lent out $1.5 which they then charge interest on. I think that the, the amount of money that's held in reserve um, in Canada, um, you're right, is pretty low. Uh, one of the reasons it's so low is because our, our banking system is as stable as it is. Um, okay. So what would happen if we simply wanted our money back? We would have a credit crisis and the, and the system would, would not be sustainable. So we'd have to reorganize and restructure, which is what happened actually in the Depression. Um, I don't see that happening again. Yeah. <laughs> but theoretically, that's what would happen. <clears throat> oh yeah, that sounds like a stable system. So isn't it a little bit fraudulent though if I were to walk into a bank and they give me a receipt that's I can redeem at any time but it's only noticed that it, it, it would be called fraud if everyone came to the bank and requested their money. I'm going to answer your question but then I want to go back to mine okay. because, because you're, it really is, this is the huge change of the last five years. It's not fraudulent. It's not fraudulent. 
um, because everybody understands it. But it is not. Not no one really understands. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, those who those who those who know about it, it knew about it, so it was not fraudulent. I I, I talked to the like teachers and, and, and MPs even and MPPs, and they, they had no idea that. Uh, that there was only four billion dollars in the vaults, but over a trillion dollars is lent out. Yep. Let me go back. Well, the fact that they didn't know it, they should have. I mean, but no, but but really, no one does. Well, they could, but I, they, should, should that be involved a little bit more before we start using money? That we should be told where it is, where it comes from. Well, no. Okay, so it's one thing to lend out money you just don't have. But how can you charge interest on nothing? And not just any kind of interest. Compounded interest. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase.